Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you turn in that Bible this morning to Acts, and we are going to be in Acts 4, verses 36 to chapter 5, verse 11. So we'll start with 4 and go to 5. And this is what we're doing. We are doing a sermon series called What Disciples Do. Disciples are activated people. They do things. And so I just thought it might be interesting to go through Acts. We've been through Acts plenty. But I never think we can be through Acts enough to say, let's look at Acts and and discover this time with what the Spirit inspires the disciples to do with their lives. How do they activate what God is telling them? And so the first week we said, well, it's obvious that disciples spend time with Jesus because even after he's dead, he resurrects. And even after he resurrects, he spends about 40 days with them. So they spend time with Jesus. Next thing is, Jesus said, I want you to wait for more. There's something else that needs to happen. I'm not enough. I'm sending another one. And that other one will be enough. Then we can start our march across the Roman Empire. Then after the disciples uh, come, they get filled with the Spirit. Uh, their message convicts 3,000 to come to know the Lord. And then they get down to exciting business, the day-to-day life of, of the kingdom. We talked about that. And then, today, they start handling money. Uh-oh. We got to talk about that? Money? It's time for the money sermon? Indeed it is. Today's the money sermon, y'all. So go ahead, look down your toes and say, here Jesus comes. That's okay. It's not me that's coming. It's going to be Jesus. And he's going to step on us a little bit. Are you okay with that? He's going to challenge us to be better. And as we be better, as we be better. As I'm going to go with that. As we be better, as we be better, God is going to do incredible things in and through our lives. So, Christine is going to read for us Acts 4, verse 36 through 511. Would you please stand and honor the word of God this morning? Thank you. Joseph, a Levite. From Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let's pray. Father God, um, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would just 
Fill this room, Lord, and that you would prepare our hearts to receive the word that you have for us today. Lord, we pray that we would internalize that and that we would go and do what you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, uh, I was very encouraged. I was, uh, I've been in Ohio, uh, left on a Wednesday, came back on a Wednesday, so I've been back for a few days now. But uh, while I was in Ohio, it was kind of exhausting. First off, I'm away from my uh, dear wife, and that means I go to bed at night and don't feel quite comfortable, so I never sleep as well, and it's a strange bed, and, and this and that. And then you get kind of exhausted. I just get a little exhausted. Now, it's, it's not the kind of exhaustion that's uh, just so terrible. It's just kind of, a, I'm weary, I want to go back home. And I, I had to wake up at f- like uh, 3.45 a.m. to get to the airport, which is about an hour and a half away, and I got an 8 o'clock flight, I want to make sure I'm there, I want to make sure my bag's checked, etc. So I wake up at 3.45 a.m., uh, decide I'm going to try to be in the car at 4. I got in the car, and I opened up my, uh, my uh, iPhone just to see... Is there anything here I need to check before I get moving? And sure enough, someone had written me, like, that early. It uh, wasn't there, I don't think. I may, I may have been there, but I don't think it was there when I left the hotel room, and it was there when I got there to the car. So I looked at it, and it was someone who'd been listening uh, by live stream. And she says, first off, I wanted to tell you, I appreciate the live stream. Thanks. We listen frequently. We watch in. We view. Thank you so very much for that and said something about how a lot better preacher was preaching this morning than uh, is typical. Uh, thank you, Preston. That's why I always hustle back. You know, that Preston is starting to get on my nerves. Woo! People say, he preached. Man, he preached. But we're glad to have you back, Pastor. Yeah, 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 whatever. So anyway, by the way, they didn't say that. I just threw that in. And I thank God for Preston White preaching the Word of God when I'm gone. Thank you. No, don't. Please don't do that. Don't clap for him. Oh, wait a minute. Family just walked in. Yeah, clap for him. Clap for him. All right, so I, I, having said all that, uh, I open up, and she says, uh, thank you for the live stream, and by the way, this is really great preaching, and by the way, I just feel like I'd like to send some money. And it's by live stream, and uh, I don't know if they, they may be regular givers. I have no idea, but all I know is, uh, they said, this prison facility you all been talking about, we cannot do the whole $250,000, uh, but we can do something, and we'd like to send it. Would that be okay? I'm thinking, that would be okay. <laughs> and so I really appreciate that. Thank you so very much. You were very kind to do that. And I'd just like to say, if God puts it on your heart to do that, we're trying to start a, a facility that will take guys that we know out at the penal farm, who we get the meat out there. It'll be guys first. Eventually, we'll expand it to women if we can. We're going to start with the men and uh, try to get them into a facility that is linked into this church. We can disciple them into righteousness and just pray that uh, they'll have their best days ahead of them because of Jesus' efforts through us to that prison facility. So just want you to know, we're starting that. If anybody wants to write some huge checks that way, praise God from whom all blessings flow. When it comes to difficult conversations, though, I'm going to tell you money's like at the top of the list. Wells Fargo uh, did a little survey, and they found out that uh, the most difficult conversation you could possibly have is about money. It doesn't matter for your family, your friends, even in church. Everybody's thinking, oh, no, today's the money day? Are you kidding me? I had to show up on money day? 
I think you'll like this. This is going to be challenging to you. But it's, it's, yeah, it's money day here at the church. We're not asking for tithes and offerings. No, no, no. We're asking for a lot more than that. But the number one thing, 44% of Americans point to personal finances as the most challenging talk you could possibly have with somebody else. Number two was death, second at 38%. Number three was politics at 35%, which surprises me because we all around here, we don't mind talking about politics at the first go. Uh, And religion at 32%. So there you have it. It's money, death, politics, and then religion. Some things we don't just like to talk about. So I told this not long ago, but let me just throw it in here again. Uh, I was starting discipleship groups at Wesley Biblical Seminary 32 years ago. And uh, first discipleship group I ever had, we invited to meet in our home. Uh, I had a little house there on Cedars of Lebanon. And uh, they would come over and we'd sit in the, the living room such as it was and have a great Bible study and pray for one another. But I was wondering, I'd really like to get these guys sharing on a gut level, on a deep level, right off the bat if I could. I wonder how do you promote that kind of thing. And so I came up with a tactic. I'll try this. I'll probably never do it again, but I'm going to try it this time. And so this is what I said. Next week, guys, I'd like for you to bring in a budget of the way you budget currently your money. Don't lie about it. Don't think this is what I wish we would do what you are currently doing. And I handed everybody else a budget. And at the bottom, I said, and then tell me your net worth. How much you're worth. That, you know, your, your car, your house, everything you got in savings. And, and so just, there you go. Budget and net worth. And uh, we're going to talk about it next week. And so they, they came in next week, and they all had their, their, their sheets, and they'd all filled them out. And I said, so, let me go first. So I put it in the middle of the den, and everyone's huddled around. They couldn't wait to see how one of their professors handled, handled their money. And so I said, this is kind of what, what I do here, and uh, this is what we give, and this is what our cars... I said, this is what I think our strengths of this budget is. These are some of the weaknesses. And by the way, we, uh, there's my net worth. I think someone actually laughed when they saw that. <laughs> I got more than that. Anyway, net worth. I said, everybody good? They all looked at me and said, I guess we're good. I said, good, because it's your turn now. And one by one, we shared our finances. How much it is we spent on this or that item this week and what our net worth was. They said, what crazed maniac would have their discipleship group share such a thing? This crazed maniac, the maniac that wants next week to talk about sex, and they'll be wide open to talk about it because they're already talked about something that's harder to talk about than their sexuality. And guess what? Next week came, sex, wide open, no problem. They just were just shared their strengths, their weaknesses, our pitiful mistakes, our sins. I mean, they were wide open because we had already talked about the toughest thing in the world you can possibly talk about, and apparently it's money. How much we got, what we do with it, and how much we've amassed in a world that, by the way, is hungry. In a world where some people will die today, like tens of thousands of people, will die today because they don't have a dollar's worth of food. And so to share this stuff, I think, is very helpful for the Church of Jesus Christ. And I would challenge you to do that in smaller discipleship groups. Get together and just say, hey, this is where I'm at. Where are you at? And once you start that kind of intimate sharing, you're off on a whole different level of spirituality. A whole different level.
So having said that, we get to the story for the day. It is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And this is what's fascinating to me. Luke is writing this down on parchment. And he only has so much room he has to tell the story of Acts. He knows how much room. He's seen the scroll. He sees how much uh, he has to write on. So he takes a lot of room for this story. And the question is, why? Why would you take so much room for this story this early in the history of the church? Well, to explain this to you, let's go to the names. Three names. First off, Ananias. Ananias, as a word, means God is gracious. Isn't that beautiful? Now, in the ancient Near East, you were given a body, a soul, and a name. At this time of Jesus, it was still true. You were given a body, you were given a soul, and they thought you were given a name. And you would try to live into that name. Now, sometimes the name had meaning. So you lived into the meaning of the name. But sometimes it was because your daddy or your grandpa was named that. I still have that going today in my life. Yeah, you know that our president is called Matt Ayers. And we have another guy that all of a sudden starts working with us. That's called Matt O'Reilly. And now I'm all of a sudden the third Matt. I don't know who they're talking about. I mean, when they're gossiping in the, uh, in the hallways and they're saying, Matt, I'd like to know, is it me you're talking about? And I can't tell anymore. There are too many Matts. So I've said, hey, is there any way you could call me Freedy? Now, for the 100th time, can I say that to you? Could you call me Freedy? Because Matt is just like, whoa, everyone's called Matt all of a sudden. They weren't my day, but all of a sudden everybody's called Matt. So Freedy, no, why, why Freedy? That just sounds silly to me. Doesn't sound silly to me. That was my grandpa's nickname back in Great Bend, Kansas. And because that was grandpa's nickname, they started calling my dad Freedy because my dad lived into the name Freedman Freedy. Call me Freedy. It says that on the pens. My dad, Freedman Service Store, Tenth and Main. Call me Freedy. And so my dad started being called Freedy. I thought, wouldn't it be an honor for me? If they call me Freedy, because my dad, because my grandpa was also named Freedy. Well, that's what names were. You would live into that name, or you'd take that role in society, or sometimes the names had meaning, and this very meaning you would live into. So Ananias is supposed to live into the meaning, God is gracious. I think we can read the story and say, didn't happen. The next one, Sapphira. And that comes, uh, you can... Well, let me just say, sapphire comes from that word, right? Sapphire, which means beautiful. And so she is supposed to live into the meaning of beautiful. And I think by this story we can say, didn't happen. But there's a third name that happened in chapter 4, and that is Barnabas. And Barnabas was a name given to this guy, and it means son of encouragement. And I think when Barnabas gives lavishly of his resources, I think he encourages God. By the way, do you think God can be encouraged? I think by our lives, he's encouraged or not. He can be discouraged as well. So is it possible that we could encourage God? I think Barnabas does. Is it possible that with the way we live our lives, the church could be encouraged? And I think the church is encouraged when Barnabas gives. And then no doubt he encourages himself by saying, I've done something good and right in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. Therefore, I even feel better about myself. And I believe you can inspire even more giving when you give well. And when you give more, 
for the cause of the kingdom of God, that's a good day. And so, three names, Ananias, Sapphira, and Barnabas. One of those names, God says, I want you to live in to that name for your own life. Now, money. Money is presented in Acts as a factor in evil acts, as well as good. We just saw Barnabas, right? But it also keeps coming up, for instance, in the story of Judas. You can read that about that in chapter 1. So Judas is a bad money story. Remember, he was a treasurer of the twelve. And the treasurer, interesting enough, ends up in the worst possible place. Then Ananias and Sapphira, then the owners of the soothsaying girl in chapter 16, and then Demetrius, the silver worker, in chapter 19. All of these, money is presented as a factor in evil acts. It keeps coming up in acts. And here, Luke. Now, I love this, and you've got to do some deep diving to get some of this stuff. But Luke, as he's writing this, has to make word choices. That's true of all Scripture. When these writers have to say, we're going to tell the story of Jesus, or we're going to tell the story of the early church, and Luke does both. The Gospel of Luke is Luke's rendition of the story of Jesus. You include some things, you don't include some things. Same thing for Acts. You include some stories, you don't include some stories, but when you tell a story, you've got to dip into some words. What word do I use to describe this thing that just happened? And so what happens here is Ananias keeps back part of the money for himself, and he chooses a word, Luke does, which means to misappropriate. Same word is used in the Septuagint. Now, deep dive here, hang, hang, hang in there with me just a little a little bit here. The Septuagint is the Greek rendition of the Old Testament, not the Hebrew. It was written in Hebrew, but at the time of Jesus, no one's, well, there's some reading Hebrew, no question, but most people are reading Greek, so the writers think if we want more people to get our story, we're going to have to write in Greek. And so they say, okay, when we tell the story of the Old Testament, we've got to make some Greek word choices. And when they go back to the story of Achan, anybody remember Achan? All right, here's this story. Okay, Achan goes in, and they're told, don't take any of the plunder of Jericho. We're going to put the smack down on Jericho, okay? Remember, you, you, you learned about this. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Remember this? Yeah, sing with me, Jericho. Sing with me, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And the walls came a-tumbling down. Well, the walls came tumbling down. All kinds of walls came tumbling down, including money walls. And all of a sudden, Israel's looking right at gold and silver and money and possessions. And wow, 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 wow. And God said, don't take a bit of it. Now, on the way, on the way to the service this morning, Mary and I were talking about this. She, says, she goes, she's, I'm always asking her questions because I want insights for the sermon. So, sweetheart, what do you think? Tell me, tell me. She asked me, what is there about the story that catches your attention? She didn't say pastor. She said Matt. But... She didn't say Freedy. I've got I to train her better. Yeah. <laughs> she said, well, so what captures your attention? I said, I'm going to tell you what captures my attention. That Achan seemed to be the only one. Because you and I, I've got this funny feeling. Could probably do the same thing Achan was doing in his own mind. Whoa. That's all going to go to waste. We're going to burn it up. We're going to put it aside. It's just going to go to waste. It could go to build up my family for God. It could go to build up 
a new home for my family. And God loves families. It's just going to go to waste. He said, don't take anything, so I won't take much. Ah, you see that little phrase right there? He said, don't take anything, so I won't take much. But he takes some stuff, and he goes and he hides it under his tent. And then all of a sudden, Israel's trying to win some more battles. All of a sudden, people are dying. All of a sudden, it appears to Joshua that Israel's no longer blessed. What's gone wrong? There's sin in the camp. So let's go search it out. And they come down to Achan. And it says in the Bible that he said to Achan, Joshua said to Achan, why don't you praise the Lord and give him all glory? Then let's see what you got. And Achan knows. He doesn't argue with him. He says, all right, praise God. All glory goes to him. And here's what I got. At that point, they stone him to death and they burn him up. Why? Because one person's sin is holding the whole nation back. They're in the promised land now, the holy land. And one person's sin is holding everybody back. That's what happened then. That was early in the history of the Joshua people taking the promised land. This here is early in the story of the church taking the Roman Empire. And it's the same story. There's money that doesn't belong to you that you're using for you. Now, this story impacts every person here today. Because I know some of us thinking, hey, I'm doing enough. Well, maybe. But I think I'm going to read to you something here in just a moment that might say, maybe not. And I want everybody here to know, we're not raising money for the church today. I'm not going to say, hey, today's the tithe sermon. If everybody would just tithe, we'd be okay. No, God doesn't want to tithe. He wants 100%. I need everybody to say amen to that. God doesn't want 10% of your money. He wants it all. Amen? He wants it all. And so this is what we think may well have happened here. We don't get the whole story. Luke doesn't tell us the whole story. I think Luke's probably making some assumptions that we're going to know some things. But before the sale uh, that Ananias and Sapphira goes through, they had entered, we think, into some kind of contract to give the church the total amount that was raised. This is what was happening in the, in the, in the early church. If you gave the church all of your money, and by the way, we're not saying give the church all your money today. We're saying give God all your money. But at this point in the early church, if you gave the church all your money, they would take care of you. So they would be your social security. They would be your health care. They would be the thing that would keep you from hunger and from thirst. The church would provide for you. Some people say, that sounds like socialism to me. No, what that is, is the way God wanted it at that point, because it wasn't socialism. Everybody entered into it voluntarily. They thought that's what Ananias and Sapphira had done. Entered into this thing voluntarily. Here's 100% of our money. But then they said, you know, let's not go 100%. Let's keep, I don't know, 5, 10, 20% back for us. Just in case this whole church thing, oh, I don't know, folds. And so they say, so now we're invested wholly, wink, wink, in the church, but they've got their own private stash over here just in case it doesn't go so well for our Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid system. And guess what happened? They got struck dead. Now, it does not say God struck them dead. 
Everybody assumes that? I kind of assume it. But you know what it might have been? They had read the story of Joshua 7. They had read the story of Achan. And they had so much fear on them, they fell down dead all on their own. They didn't need God to strike them down dead. They fell from fear knowing they had disappointed God. They had been disingenuous. They lacked integrity. They were not sincere. And Craig Keener said this, The sin of one man who had kept spoiled for himself had once brought judgment on all of Israel and the death of many. And only the death of Achan allowed Israel to move forward again. God took the corporate, get a load of this now, guys. God took the corporate purity of his people and the importance of sincerity in claims to total commitment far more seriously than most Christians do today. Those of you who have notes in your hands, and they're always out there if you ever want to grab notes either before or after the service. What disciples do? They get generous or they die. Now, I don't think he's going to strike you dead necessarily. What I do think is we strike ourselves spiritually dead when we say we're doing something we're not doing. When we say or we sing the song, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, when it's really 10% I give to Jesus, 10% I freely give, I'll do whatever I want with 90%. Kind of messes up the song, doesn't it? I'll do whatever I want with 90%. Guys, that's not tithing. That's not fooling God. That's not faithfulness. That's Ananias and Sapphira. That's Achan. All of our money belongs to him. And John Wesley, when he's starting a movement, got this. And he writes two sermons that I mean are wow. Two sermons. One is the use of money. And in that sermon, he said, and by the way, John Wesley was incredible with his own personal finances. Whenever I read something like this, I want to say, hey, what about you, John Wesley? Tell me about how you lived your life. And John Wesley did this with his life. He decided early on, his first year making money, that he would live on what he needed. And then he'd give the rest. And so he lived on 28 pounds and gave two away. But the second year, he made 60 pounds. First year, he made 30 pounds. Second year, now if that's you and me, we're going to say, whoa, God's going to really get a lot off me now. He gets six instead of just two. John Wesley said, no, that's not how we're doing this. This is just his personal finances now. John Wesley said, I said I only needed 28, so I'm going to live on 28, and I'm going to give away 32. Third year, he made 90. Fourth year, he made 120. Eventually, he made 1,400 pounds in a single year. Guess what he did that year? He lived on 30. He gave away the rest. He gave away 98 percent of his income we know because we've read his journals and he kept his budget there what's so incredible about that is he didn't consider the tide to be an overwhelming paradigm in his life he considered what i need versus what the kingdom gets because the king is king of my money the sovereign king is lord over all my money so John Wesley said, so let me give people some practical advice. And I don't know, this is about as practical. In fact, this is so practical, it makes me feel uneasy. It'll make you feel uneasy too. And this way he said, okay, you're about ready to buy that couch. Or you're about ready to buy that car. Or you're about ready to buy that home. 
Or you're about ready to buy that and kind of fill in the blank. You're about ready to buy anything. Four questions before you buy it. Number one, am I acting here and not as a proprietor, but as a steward of my Lord's goods? Here, it's, am I acting as an owner or as a steward? Do I own my money or does God own my money? Because if he owns my money, this isn't just a Matt Freedom decision. This is a Jesus decision I make today. Second question, am I doing this in obedience to his word? If so, what scripture does he require me to spend my money this way? On that boat or on that grill or on anything else? Because remember now, it's Jesus' money, not mine. Where does he tell me to do it in the Bible? Number three, can I offer up this expense as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? Can I offer this up as a sacrifice to God? And number four, have I reason to believe that for this very work, I get a reward at the resurrection of the just? At the seat of judgment, God will look down and say, I'm so proud of the way you handled your money when you bought that new car. I'm so proud of that grill you bought. You get a reward for that. I believe John Wesley asked himself this every time he bought something. I really do. And so he's not saying, I'm, I'm not saying this out of any lack of integrity. I'm asking it out of all integrity. And then he says, if you ask these four questions and you can, with great sincerity, go ahead and buy that thing, then guess what? I believe that you probably should have bought that thing. And if you still have a question, then just pray. Lord, I act right now, not as an owner, but as a steward of your goods. And I'm doing it because of obedience to your word, and I find this in the Bible right here. And I'm offering this up to you as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ. And yes, I have reason to believe, Lord Jesus, that you will reward me on the day of judgment when you look down and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for spending my money that way. (laughs) I don't know about you. That just strikes me as, wow! Then he had another sermon. That was on use of money. By the way, you can Google it up. Anybody can Google these sermons up. Say, John Wesley, the use of money. Come up. Just read that tonight before you go to bed. Tomorrow night, read this one. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. He had sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. And when he got to this passage, lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth, he did a whole sermon on it. And this is what he said. I'm just going to read it to you. Every man ought to provide the plain necessaries of life both for his own wife and children, not delicacies, not the things that are superfluous. Whoever I say then, being already in these circumstances, if you still seek a larger portion than that, than plain necessaries, then you live in an open and habitual denial of the Lord that bought you. You have denied the faith, and worse, you're an infidel. Anybody here feeling comfortable? Anybody here feeling like, ooh, I like John Wesley. I I wish he'd preach more to me. When will you be persuaded to choose the better part, which can't be taken from you? You know something? You spending money the way you want to spend it, you've murdered your own soul. You've extinguished the last spark of spiritual life therein. Now, indeed, in the midst of life, you're in death. You're a living man, but you're a dead Christian. 
Your affections are set not on things above, but on things that are on the earth, on poor husks that may poison but cannot satisfy an everlasting spirit made for God. You've thrown away the treasure in heaven. God and Christ are lost. You gain riches. You've gained hell fire. The whole thing comes down to this, y'all. Whose money is it? Whose house is it? Whose car is it? Whose next expenditure is it? You are just a steward if you're a Christian. Don't put your place on the throne of God. And just make your own decision because, hey, I deserve it. Or that's the way everybody else in the church does. Or that's the way all my friends do. And then if you start actually living that way, you know what he does? He blesses you. And you know why he's going to bless you? Hey, I see some people here crazy enough to give away 98% of their money or 50% of their money or 25% of their money. I see some people crazy. And because they're crazy, I'm just going to bless them with more so they can do it some more. If you want to be blessed, this is the way to get blessed. Give away extraordinary amounts. Give away things that might even other people say, oh, that, that must really hurt. No, doesn't hurt so much because I know it's about ready to happen. I'm going to get blessed even more <coughs> so I can give even more. I mean, I love this life. And God needs people like you. God needs a church like Dayspring where you can say, I want to give somebody down there $250,000 and know they're not just going to tithe it. I'm going to give you $250,000 because I need $250,000 over here. And you're crazy enough, you proved yourself crazy enough to give it over here. Y'all, that's the kingdom of God. That's Barnabas. That's the early church. That's Jesus. He didn't just give up his money. He gave his whole life. He says, anybody here crazy enough to follow me? I put on my Facebook page yesterday a little quote that I saw by a guy named Sterling Hayden. I have no idea who that is. But this is what he said. What does a person need? I'm like, really need. What do you need? You need a few pounds of food each day, heat and shelter, six feet to lie down in, not as in down in, but just six feet where you can lie down. Everybody needs to sleep. And some form of working activity that will yield a sense of accomplishment. I like that. Glad he included that. But that's all. In the material sense, that's all you need. And we know it. But we are brainwashed by our economic system until we end up in a tomb beneath a pyramid of time payments, mortgages, preposterous gadgetry, playthings that divert our attention from the sheer idiocy of the charade. Years thunder by. The dreams of youth grow dim where they lie caked in the dust on the shelves of patience. Before we know it, the tomb is sealed. Where then lies the answer? Choice. Which shall it be, bankruptcy of purse or bankruptcy of life? Purse or life? And I think Jesus looks down at this group of people and says, you know, I see enough crazies in that room right now that wouldn't mind being bankrupt of purse but they definitely don't want to be bankrupt in life. Jesus blessed that crazy people. John Rockefeller apparently had some serious wealth. I didn't know this until yesterday. I was looking it up, doing some research for the sermon. 
he had a net worth of 1% of the entire U.S. economy. Well, you talk about rich. 1% of the whole economy of the United States of America. Now, you think, who are the rich people today? Oh, I know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. That's wealth way beyond Gates and Buffett. In fact, you add them together in times at times four, that's about how much John D. Rockefeller was worth. He had 90% of all the oil and gas industry of his time. They asked him one day, how much more money would make you happy? How much money would make you happy? You know what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And I believe Jesus looks down at the crazies in this room. People are wide open to the Word of God and what the Word seems to teach us on this subject and says, choose not Rockefeller, not Buffett or Gates. Choose Barnabas and encourage me. Encourage the kingdom. Encourage the church of Jesus Christ. When all the pagans look around, they're going to look at you, Dayspring, like they look at John Wesley. Whoa. God is obviously not ashamed to be called their God. Jesus didn't give 10%. He gave his whole life.